Hear the word of God as it is written in the book of John, 1 John, chapter 1, from verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And if you turn, look across the page there to chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, he lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Amen, and may God add to our understanding that reading of his word and to his name. Well, welcome back to uh, looking at 1 John again this week. Uh, I hope uh, you've found... Uh, did you take an opportunity this week to have a bit of a look at 1 John? Some people, a few nods there. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at 1 John over the next three weeks, so you might like to have your Bibles open to 1 John there. Um, might. Uh, I'm showing this ad again, but I'm aware that up the back you probably can't even hear it and the image isn't really good on the screen but it, the advertising campaign for the leading the double life down in Dalesford uh, they did a few different forms of the ads uh, we, we looked at the long one last week and this is a shorter one this week but I, I think the theme is what I wanted to get across is just picking up on that theme so we probably won't watch it again next week but I thought we'd just watch it again this week so okay well, we looked at uh, the ad because uh, when I first saw the ad, uh, the, the Blitz campaign started a few months ago. I know not everyone has seen it before. 
but there's a lot of similarities in the advertising campaign or certainly the ad i saw on television and our letter of one john that we've got before us there's there's strong imagery there's strong contrast there's christian themes there's a lot of things that are entwined between the two but that's where there's also big differences because the ad finishes by suggesting it's a good thing to lead the double life and from a marketing point of view it makes sense uh, you can have it all when you go to this little town in Victoria, Dalesford. Um, though the image is a bit, you, can, you know, you can be naughty and nice all together, you can have it all there. John, of course, writes something quite different, doesn't he? Uh, he writes to tell us, well, it's not that simple. Uh, what we do matters, what we say matters, what we believe matters, and how we treat other people matters as well. Now, this idea of the double life is, is a helpful one too as we come to 1 John because it's a question and an issue that the early Christians were struggling with when John wrote this letter back in the first century as well. Um, we, we might think of it in the, the idea of the question of uh, is this life as good as it gets? You know, is this all there is? And if your answer is yes, they might be a little disappointed with this life. There are high points, but there are low points, and we struggle with this life. Hopefully, as believers here today, we're saying, no, it's, this is not as good as it gets. In fact, there is something more in eternity with a life with the Father, of course. But for many of the early Christians and many people today, that question is a good one. Uh, and so we, we developed, or they developed, this idea of this double life the idea of an imperfect, uh, sorry, an imperfect world where we live and this perfect uh, spiritual existence that was somewhere up there, somewhere else. Uh, lots of debate, but the key points about it was that they were separate and they didn't mix together. And in fact, if they did, if anything from this perfect spiritual world came down to this earth, it would be contaminated and no longer perfect. Of course, uh, we have a problem when we come to Jesus because we understand that he came from this spiritual realm, from being with the Father, and came and took on flesh and became fully human. And that's the crux of the debate in the first century, as they recognised too, OK, we've got this worldview, but you're talking about Jesus, how does he fit in? And they had all sorts of ideas about that. So that was the background as uh, John writes to the Christians in Ephesus and Asia Minor. Uh, let me say Ephesus is not in Spain as I may have mentioned last week when we looked at a map. Ephesus would be in the region of Turkey. Uh, I won't show you the map again, my geography is so poor, but uh, you don't need to tell me anymore that Ephesus is not in Spain. I'm sorry for that, um, it is in Turkey. Now, all that background does, of course, make sense when we come to 1 John 5.13 and the purpose of John writing his letter, because he's writing, why? That believers may know for sure that they have eternal life. If you live in this framework of earthly and spiritual, uh, and we don't really know how we get there, but that's perfect, we want to be there. But John is saying, no, that's, that's unhelpful but you can know for sure that you have eternal life. You can know that the future is certain. And we've got to keep that in the background as we look at this letter, because those are good words to be hearing, aren't they? So this is something about we can know for sure of the future. Now, 
I just thought um, we, we I sort of introduced last week the opportunity to have some questions or some reflection. Um, so I just thought I'd pause at a couple of points and ask if there was any comments that people want to make or perhaps a question. Um, we covered a lot last week. Uh, there's a lot of material, but not a lot of answers, just a lot of questions. Does anyone want to comment or perhaps share something they've found during the week as they looked at 1 John or as they reflected on what we looked at last week? We're not used to doing this, are we? But I warned you last week. Okay, well, we'll keep going. That's fine. Just want to give you the opportunity to, uh, to do that. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at 1, 1 John from two different perspectives. Uh, this week, we're going to look at it from the perspective of who God is. Uh, it seems like John is making this a very important point that as he talks about behaviour, before we can do that, we've got to start with who God is. And there's two great statements in the letter. We read those passages before. Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 1, God is light. Verse 16, or verse 8 and verse 16 of chapter 4, God is love. So we're going to spend a bit of time today exploring that. Next week, we're going to take the framework of three tests. Uh, and this is the more popular framework for how people approach 1 John, is these tests, uh, the test for a real Christian, you might say. And uh, I want to explore that and point out why that's an unhelpful framework but look at uh, some of the pointers that John puts in his letters next week with that as well. So today, introducing God. And I guess the, uh, the big question for us to consider is, well, what is your view of God? What do you think of God? How do you talk about God? What is God like? It's an interesting question, because if we look at the double framework, the, the double life framework, we might think that God is up there. He's somewhere there, he's perfect, he's in his spiritual realm that we might call heaven, um, but there's not a lot of relationship between that and down here. It's an interesting question. What would you say to a friend who asked you, what is your picture of God? Well, John answers the question in two ways, as I've said. He wants to talk about light and he wants to talk about love. First point on the outline there, then, is God is light. It's an interesting uh, comparison or contrast, isn't it? Light and dark, black and white. There's, there's nothing that's more clear as a contrast than these two. Uh, you know, the expressions, the light at the end of the tunnel, every cloud has a silver lining, bring on the morning, as different as day and night. Uh, even um, Peter before mentioned shades as he talks about um, child protection. We don't want any shady characters we're talking about. We don't want any dark characters involved with our children. Uh, it's probably no surprise, given all that, that light finds itself uh, coming up time and time again through our scriptures as well. Um, in the Old Testament, it's an image of a God who reveals himself. Uh, God who reveals himself where light is linked to truth and darkness is linked to ignorance or falsehood. Uh, a few of the references are listed on your outlines there. Proverbs 6.23, for these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. It points to the truth. Uh, Psalm 119, great memory verse for our children, and maybe you've learnt it yourself. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path, showing the way. Or, of course, Isaiah 42, make his servant a light to the Gentiles. 
see this idea of revealing and shining lights not just for the israelite people even in the old testament it was pointing out and shining so that others might see the true light as well well light uh, as an image for a god who reveals himself light also is an image for behavior and again light would be good behavior right behavior righteousness darkness would be evil or immoral behavior or sin isaiah 5 talks about uh, they call evil uh, they call good evil and evil good and they put darkness for light and light for darkness the the contrasts are mixed up there in in their behavior or as we come to christmas of course a great verse isaiah 9 a light has dawned talking about the birth of jesus that light that comes into the world so of course with all that uh, old testament expectation of light coming into the world no surprise then that jesus picks up this theme as well again picking up the idea that a truth has been revealed light has come into the world john 8 tells that great story as the the man who is born blind comes before jesus and they say what you know what, what who, who caused this what did this man do wrong that he's been born blind and what does jesus say this man didn't do anything but he's blind that you may see the glory of god great imagery of the blind man who sees the truth and the seeing pharisees who are blind to the truth which of course culminate with that great phrase from jesus himself saying i am the light of the world just brilliant isn't it uh, jesus also talks about light uh, again as the image for behavior uh, back in john 3 light comes into the world speaking about jesus of course but what do men prefer they prefer darkness of course we can hide away we can do what we like we can do our shady things there out of the light so it's a message i think that uh, the the early readers of this letter would have been very familiar with all that history of light flows out of them and as as uh, john says god is light they would have been picking up on all that has gone before an interesting exercise to maybe sit down this afternoon and and find pick up a concordance and look up the word light and read some of the references of light throughout the scriptures and get a sense for the weight that comes as we hear uh, this phrase god is light in verse five john brought, draws it all together with the idea of walking in the light so there's that god is the light and there is an appropriate way to live in that light as well and as as light shines out it is the nature of god to shine out to reveal himself not just to the israelite nations but to all the world because a light can be seen the light is not to be hidden away um, I, I love this image of god being light i, I think uh, there, there's this sense of warmth and there's no hiddenness there's no hypocrisy there's no deceit uh, it, it's lovely but the other side of it too is there's this image of yes well everything is seen as well everything of mine is revealed if i'm standing in the light i am seen uh, for who i am completely and utterly and it's interesting as we we think about that side of light that it, it there might be a bit of a fearful side as we think about god being light john picks up on that particularly and moves on to talk about sin 
And the next few verses, he, he's really exploring a, a, an understanding of what sin is. Because it seems like the, there's, there's these heretics, these double-minded people who've got this double view of life and, and holiness, and they've got a few wrong views. And so three times John says, if we claim... And it seems like he's picking up on things that they're claiming. And so he's correcting their thinking and he's trying to point them back to an an appropriate understanding of sin that flows out of an understanding of who God is, God being light. So let's have a quick look at them. Okay, first of all, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So here, the the heretics, the double-minded people that John is dealing with seem to be suggesting that they can be spiritual while they're doing whatever. They can say one thing, but they can do another. Uh, They're saying that sin is unimportant. There's, a, there's an inconsistency here. Uh, we might use the word hypocrisy, wouldn't we? That's a common word uh, in, this, in this sort of sense. Um, but, in, but John wants to say that's not to be the case. But, verse 7, but if we walk in the light. It's interesting, first of all, uh, John doesn't say if I or if you. He, he uses the plural here. And there's an incorporation of a community because uh, he says if we walk in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. There's, a, there's some kind of sense that in living in this community of light that we would be working together. There would be issues together perhaps and as we rub shoulders but at the end of the day there's also this, there's this sense of working together and being, having our relationships together purified as well as being individuals. Because the, um, these heretics are going around saying, it doesn't matter what we do. And John says, no, it does matter because we are people of light. Don't be hypocrites. Verse 6, he picks it up again. If we claim, uh, sorry, verse 8, uh, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in verse 8 we see these double-minded people are claiming that they're free from the power of sin, uh, that somehow sin has no uh, effect on them. But this is just foolishness. It's a refusal to understand the the heart of what sin is, the deceit, uh, the seduction, the danger of sin let alone the actual final result of sin as well, being death. Instead, John says, the wise way is to confess our sins, is to actually acknowledge our sins because we know what God is like, because God is faithful and just. God will do the right thing. God has done the right thing. He will forgive us. He will purify us. Don't bottle it up. Don't hide your sin in shame. Don't just um, push it down and ignore it. But confess your sins. Because it's only as you confess your sins that you can experience the power of forgiveness. 
John makes it very clear. Don't be foolish, be wise and confess. Verse 10 is the third one. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Seems like the third thing they're saying, well, okay, sin might be real and it's over there, but I don't sin. We don't sin. We don't do anything wrong. Well, John just says, well, that's just plain dangerous. If that was the case, if there was no such thing as sin, why did God waste his time sending his son? Makes the gospel itself a waste of time for us today. And there could be other things for us to do. If we can actually live our life on our own as perfectly as fine, why waste our time? You see the danger of that? Of course, John uh, reminds us, well, that's not the case at all. The actual centre, the heart of who we are is that we are people who have been forgiven and our sin has been dealt with and we can walk heads high before God our Father. I'd summarise it quite simply. Uh, Two views of sin. One of them, don't go soft on yourself and sin. Remember, sin is dangerous. It is powerful and it is deadly. But the other side as well is don't go too hard on sin. Remember the gospel. Remember the cross of Jesus. And Jesus shed the blood so that we don't live under the power of sin anymore, but are purified. God is light. And light reveals things the way they are, doesn't it? So don't be fooled by living the double life. Keep walking in the light, identifying with the community of light, looking to the purification that can only come from the cross. Not just purification from guilt, but purification that we might live the new life right now. Keep confessing your sins. Keep coming back to Jesus, the only one who is able to deal with sin, knowing he is just, knowing he is forgiving, and he will forgive us. And keep remembering the cross of Jesus, dealing with our sins, and not just ours, but for the whole world as well. There's an outward focus here as well. John uh, wraps this little section up with these lovely words from verse 1 of chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I might just pause there for a moment. God is light. Anyone want to make a comment or a question about that? Great, great encouragement. Great things to hear, aren't they? Okay. Well, the second point there, God is love. God is light, God is love. Have you ever talked to someone about the idea of the God of the Old Testament? Um, We've got this picture of the God of the Old Testament is this God who is judgmental and wrathful and vengeful and he's going to get you if you do the wrong thing. Um, But then, of course, we come to the New Testament and we've got this God of love. You know, you've got gentle Jesus, meek and mild, You've got the sheep, you've got uh, all that. Have you heard that picture? Have you had those sort of conversations? A little bit of a double life 
<laughs> kind of flows in there, doesn't it? Because uh, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, very much the same God. Uh, if we have a look at some of the references, and I've listed them once again for you on the outline, uh, we get a bit of a picture of the idea of what God is like in the Old Testament. Go back to Deuteronomy uh, and God looking out for his people. There's the Israelites. They've grown, they've multiplied, they're in Egypt, they're in slavery. They're crying out to God and God hears them. He has compassion. Not because they've done anything, not because they're more deserving. In part, he's honouring his promise to their forefather, Abraham. But he, out of love and compassion, he hears them, he rescues them. With mighty acts, through Moses, he takes them from slavery in Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And there he gathers them, and, and the image is, uh, of a mother hen gathering her chicks, he gathers them around Mount Sinai. And there he declares them to be his people. He declares uh, his love for them. He declares a covenant of love for them that will endure for all generations. Or march on a few years and we come to David, King David, uh, as he writes differing psalms. And the two there, Psalm 42, Psalm 98. Uh, David as king recognises the great love of God over him for looking after him, nurturing him, caring for him, despite his own behaviour. And David did some amazingly, terribly stupid things. And yet God loves him. Just amazing. One of my favourites is the story of Jonah. Uh, God says to Jonah, go to those Ninevites. They need to hear about me. They need to turn back to me. And Jonah goes, oh, I don't want to do that. He takes the long way round and uh, ends up there eventually, preaches the, the message that he was supposed to. And uh, the Ninevites repent. They turn back to God. And uh, so Jonah goes and sulks out on the hill outside the, the, uh, the city. And a little um, vine grows up and shades him from the heat. And the next day the vine's dead. And he's upset, this poor little vine. Oh, my goodness. And God comes and says to him, Why? What's going on? Why are you upset with this vine? My people here. I love them. Can't you see your part in this? That is love. See, this time, not love just for his own people, the, the, the promised people, the Israelites. Love for those outside the promised people. Love for the Ninevites. Love for people around the world. Some great images, aren't there? Again, take a concordance. There's a lot of, the, a lot of words for love. Uh, there's a lot of references to love in your concordance. But spend some time, get this picture of who God is through the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, picks these up again. John, lovely picture, uh, lovely book of love as he writes his biography. The famous John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. John 3, the Father loves the Son, places all things into the hands of Jesus. Or John 13, a great passage, another one of my favourites, as Jesus kneels to wash the feet of the disciples on that last night. As Jesus is going to his death, he leaves a lasting ordinance as he speaks with his disciples and loves them and, it says, shows them the full extent of his love. What's that about? I would have thought the cross was the full extent of his love. 
but as he serves them. And then, of course, he says, go and do likewise. Amazing, isn't it? And the, the challenge there to go and love as, as you have been loved is repeated uh, throughout John's gospel as well. And of course, Paul picks it up as well, those great passages, Romans 8, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ. Or Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. It's a big theme, isn't it? No surprises, no, no prizes for guessing that love would be such a big theme. And here again uh, in chapter 4, as John comes and picks up this phrase, God is love, he's drawing attention to all that uh, rich heritage. And I, I think most of them will be going, okay, yeah, we know that, got that. God is love, yeah, yeah. And so John begins a, a section here at verse 7. Again, the lovely words, dear friends. Uh, and he wants to tell them that love is the mark of someone who has been born of God and who knows God. Love that is a selfless devotion for another. Something that those who were living this double life of spiritual and earthly and you know, never the two mixed, they would have had no idea what this means. They've got their head in the clouds. They're just thinking, this is what uh, following God is all about. doesn't matter what I do with my body. John is saying, ah, oh, that is so wrong. It's the complete opposite. It matters completely. It matters because it matters to God. So firstly, uh, have a look at verse 9. Uh, firstly, God shows us his love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's like that uh, question. Yeah. Oh, sorry, chapter four. Jumping around a little bit today, Betty. Uh, it, it's like we come and ask that question of Jesus, you know, how much did you love us? How much do you love us? And Jesus says, I love you this much as the nails get hammered in as he dies on the cross. There's the example of love, isn't it? If we want to know true love, we look to Jesus. We look to the cross. Um, in, his, in the cross, we've got that word in verse 10, an atoning sacrifice. In the cross, we are made at one. We are atoned. We are at one with God. We are at one in peace with the Father. We are made at one in relationship with the Father. We are made at one in complete unity and intimacy with the Father. Well, God shows us his love. And then, of course, God is love. Verse 16 of chapter 4. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Here John is telling us that um, God is not just a loving God. But it is his character, it is his nature. He is love. In fact, not just that he does some loving things, but everything he does is loving. 
It's an interesting picture, isn't it? Absolutely everything God does is loving. It flows out of who he is, being love. Uh, this, this is made complete in us. How so? Because rather than destroying us, rather than destroying the sin, he actually acts to save us. He, his love finds a way to expose the sin that is within us. He's light. Uh, his love finds a way to deal with the sin. He is fire, as the writer to Hebrews suggests. And both of those done without destroying us, but in fact building us up and creating something new in us. And so we come to verse 18, there's no fear in love. Again, I, th- I think this is something we've got to really wrestle with as Christians, this issue of fear. John is making it very clear, there is no fear, no fear of rage, no fear of the angry father coming to get us, no fear at all, because fear comes from punishment and Jesus has already taken the punishment. Love. Well, the implications, and uh, you probably don't need me to give this part because it's pretty obvious. The implications of this is that the Christian is to be one who shows love to others, love to his brothers, love to others. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Verse 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But why is this such an issue in our churches? Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Why is this such an issue? I I don't know if it's a big issue here, but I've seen it be a big issue in many places I've been. Do we just need to learn how to love? Do we just need to listen to this? It's hard to say. I was on a uh, camp once, a youth camp. It was a camp, sadly, I was organising. Sadly, because uh, we had identified the, the problem with love in our community, in our youth community. We thought, OK, we need some teaching on this. So we, uh, we went away for the weekend and we thought, three talks on love, loving God, loving one another, loving the lost. How good will that be? First talk was excellent. Uh, well, all the talks were excellent, but uh, I, I wasn't giving them. Uh, let me just say that. Um, but uh, the first talk was excellent and, and it had an impact. And our young people were going out of their way. But on that first day, something, I don't know when it began to change, but something changed. And by the end of that day, there was this dreadful spirit of judgmentalism. Because our young people were no longer loving others, they started to go, oh. That wasn't loving, was it? Those words, that wasn't loving to me. And it was was dreadful. What had gone wrong? Somehow they'd lost the focus. We'd started uh, the camp with the emphasis on love, but we'd made a mistake. The emphasis should have been on Jesus. The emphasis should have been on the God who is love. John makes that clear for us. Love for others is not an add-on for the Christian. It's not something we can just do if we feel like it uh, or even do out of guilt or fear. Love is just to to flow out of who we are because we know the God who is love. We have seen love and that should uh, flow out of us as it takes hold in us by the Spirit. Love is the sign of us being Christian. What do you do then with 
the person who is not loving in our midst. You go and point the finger, you go and share your own story, gently walk beside them. I think it's probably not about being a better person, not about doing better, doing more things. John is telling us, get to know God. Get to know Jesus. Understand what has happened. Because at verse 19, we're told, we love because he first loved us. Well, as we wrap up the big challenge, some questions to consider, questions last week to consider, questions this week. What is your picture of God? How does it impact how you relate to him? How does it impact how you talk about him? What is your approach to sin? And what does that say about your relationship with Jesus? And what do you do about the person who is not loving? How about a pray and uh, I guess the musicians are coming up for the next song. Loving Father, we, we thank you for John. We thank you for the way you inspired him uh, to write this letter, to write in the midst of some difficult times. They're dealing with double-minded people and a view of the world that is unhelpful. But we thank you that you revealed yourself to John and not just to John or, or, or in John. We don't finish with John, we finish with Jesus. And we thank you that uh, love and light is all found in Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be part of that, um, to be united in Christ and to walk in the light and to walk in the love. Uh, and we pray, Father, that all that we do might just reflect who we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.